Oh, good morning. Well, hey, uh, it's a super Sunday already. I don't really care what's happening the rest of the day. It's already been a super Sunday. And I'm glad for that. This is where it happens right here in the house of God. This is what makes every single Sunday super, is being right here. We heard uh, a couple of words this morning from the Lord, and it seems like uh, God's talking about the hurts and uh, those who are feeling pain and uh, people who may have uh, be suffering. They're uh, involved in you know, just life, I would say, uh, from all the things we experience to maybe even some deeper, deeper uh, issues and pains. And it, it, see, it, it's lining right up, really, with uh, where, where we'll be going this morning. So I'm, I'm grateful for that because God knows what he's doing and he knows what's going on. And uh, I, I'm, I'm just never, ever uh, cease in my amazement to how he just lines things up. So we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and we've, for the past number of weeks, talked about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful, wonderful promise of God, uh, a gift that God gives his living Holy Spirit. Uh, the power of the Holy Spirit is in you. When you can answer the question, we talked about it, the question from Acts chapter 19, have you received the gift of the Spirit, since you believed. And if you say, yes, absolutely, he's in you. And we talked about he is greater. The one in you is greater than the one in the world. Satan, who would seek to kill and to destroy. So to have this gift of the Spirit is fantastic. It's wonderful. The indwelling of the, the Spirit, though, is something we've talked about uh, sometimes we can just kind of ignore, set aside, and we need to access this gift. Paul, the great apostle of the New Testament, advised his uh, good friend and co-leader Timothy, fan the flame of that gift, fan it into a hot flame, stir it up, that gift of God that, that's in you, that you received, Paul said, by the laying out of my hands. And Paul was attempting to encourage, even exhort Timothy for, for him to take action, for him to do something. I don't know what was going on in, the, in Timothy's life. It seems the way Paul was writing, the gift of the Holy Spirit had somehow gone idle in Timothy. Paul reminded this uh, young man, Timothy, about his faith legacy, the opening of Paul's second letter to Timothy speaks of Timothy's faith legacy. Timothy, your grandmother, Lois, she had sincere faith. Timothy, your mother, Eunice, had great sincere faith. Timothy, you too. You are a man of God. You're a man of faith. And then Paul wrote on Timothy, that spirit that God gives, it doesn't make us timid or fear, fearful, you know, that we would just shrink back. No, that God's Spirit gives power and love and self-discipline. Paul implied that Timothy was afraid of something. And so he, he encouraged him. He encouraged Timothy in the Spirit. But what was Timothy dealing with? We're going to consider a little bit of that. And to find some more clues this morning, 
We're going to go back to where we were a number of weeks ago. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. Get a little context of what Paul was writing to this young man about. Paul wrote, For this reason, after he had told Timothy about his great faith legacy, your grandma, your mom, you, you've got good, strong faith. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, what was Timothy timid about? What was he shrinking away from or or fearful of? We, We don't know for certain, but Paul wrote, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Could it be that Timothy, this man that Paul said, you've got a sincere faith, could it be that he was ashamed of the testimony about the Lord and ashamed of Paul's testimony? Paul writes to him, so Timothy, you know, rouse up that gift. Rouse up the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you're not timid. You're not fearful about the gospel of Jesus or the work that he has done in, in my life, Paul's life. Instead, be fearless and bold. And now Timothy, with the gift of the Spirit, fanned into flame, if you will. Paul writes, join me in suffering. Join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. No wonder, no wonder Paul opens with some encouragement. He gives him a little exhortation first. You've got this great, sincere faith. Hey, Timothy, you've got the gift of God in you. God's spirit's powerful. Stir it up, stir up the gift, stir up his his spirit. And join me in suffering. We sung this morning a song. Did you catch the line about joining and suffering? Do we mean it? We sing it. Do we mean it? Does it mean anything to us? Timothy seemed evidently, he was ashamed somehow about this. And why would that be? Let's just read on. We'll learn a little bit more. Let's read on. 2 Timothy 1, we'll just, Go from verse 8 to verse 9 all the way through verse 12. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I believed and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Paul entrusted his life, his soul, to his Savior and his Lord Jesus Christ to the the day that he would meet him face to face. 
And he reminded Timothy of the great gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not because of anything that we've done. It's not, uh, we don't earn our righteousness. We don't earn our standing before God. No, it's the grace of Jesus Christ and his own purpose, the apostle wrote. Jesus, by his grace given. So it's a gift. And the grace that Jesus gave was a, a gift that it destroyed death. And we know that. We know that death was uh, defeated. Jesus was victorious over death. He rose from the dead. He's alive. He resurrected to life. And he offers eternal life. Paul wrote immortality. Jesus offers immortality to any and all comers who would say, I want what you have and what you've done for me and I'll turn from my former life and I'll lay myself down. And again, we've sung about that this morning, laying down, surrendering to the cross of Jesus Christ and receiving his great gift of grace. And Timothy, Timothy, Paul wrote, I was appointed as a messenger, a herald of this great gospel, an apostle and a teacher. And Hey, let me tell you, that's why I'm suffering. It's not a cause to be ashamed of. We learn a little bit about what Timothy seems to be ashamed of. Perhaps Timothy was under some wrong impression about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe he was under the wrong impression that to be born again and filled with the Spirit meant, hey, life was going to be bliss and it was going to be pain-free and it was going to be void of suffering. But Paul points out something different. It it seems Timothy's ashamed of what Paul's going through. He's ashamed that a man of God like Paul, a preacher and a teacher, he'd been imprisoned. He told Timothy, I'm in chains. He's suffering. And for whatever reason, Timothy just is, he's struggling with this. How could the Holy Spirit have anything to do with that? Paul wrote, fan up the gift. Fan the gift of the Holy Spirit into a flame. And then come suffer. Come join me in suffering. We cannot miss the implication in in this passage of Scripture. Even though you're filled with the Holy Spirit, expect some suffering. We heard this morning... From Romans 14, about the Holy Spirit, goodness and peace and joy in the Spirit. But there's also in life an element of suffering. Paul wrote, I was appointed to do this. And that's why I'm suffering. Now, who appointed Paul? Did he appoint himself? Uh, Was it? Was it some other man who appointed him? No, Paul was appointed by the Holy Spirit to go do this work. He says, I'm appointed to do this, and I'm going to suffer. The Holy Spirit's connected to it. Whether we like it or not, we have to struggle with that. we got to wrestle with this. We need to understand this. Paul was appointed to do this. It was God's mission. It wasn't Paul's mission. So there's something about it. But what what does the Holy Spirit have to do with suffering? And again, this is what I want to focus on. And it seems like God is speaking to the church about hurting and suffering. Yes, there's some wonderful, great 
fantastic aspects about being filled with the Spirit. But somehow there's also this connection to suffering. And I'm glad for it because it's the human experience. Is there anyone in this room that can raise their hand? Anyone online? Hey, drop a comment if you've never suffered. If you've never felt pain, if you've never hurt, it is the human experience. And I'm glad the Holy Spirit's going to connect with me on it. And he's going to connect with you. The the human experience includes pain and, and turmoil and conflict and failure. It includes anguish and trouble and grief, loss, tribulation. It's, in a word, suffering. It's part of life. If we consider the whole Bible, the accounts of, I'll say, just about every single character in the Bible, other than those that just get a mention by name, you can read a list of names in certain books of the Bible where we don't get a whole lot of history on a person. But when we get some history on a person, it often includes pain and suffering, real life. In the first book of the Bible alone. Just Genesis, read about Adam and Noah and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Esau. Uh, They all lived and they all experienced a variety of painful experiences. And we could go on and on. We could go through every book of the Bible. We could go into the next book, Exodus and Moses. And we could cite Samson and and people like uh, David and Saul and Solomon. Nearly every one of the kings, uh, they had all kinds of pain, trouble. The prophets, Jonah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He wrote a book called Lamentations. Really, it's about a, it's a dirge. It's not the happy story. He talks about pain and wormwood and gall, and, and th- this is life. And, of course, can we forget Job? Job has a whole book dedicated to him. Just, I'll give you an, another example, an Old Testament example, not someone that we read about very often. Second Chronicles chapter 24, verses 20 to 21. It says, Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, son of Jehodiah, the priest. He stood before the people and said, This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. But they plotted against him, and by order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. This guy gets a little short bit in the Old Testament. His name's Zechariah. It says the Spirit of God came on him. He is led by the Spirit to go speak against the wickedness of King Joash. And what happened? He's led by the Spirit. Okay, Lord, I'll be obedient to what you say. What are you telling me? Go to the king. Tell him, hey, you're not going to prosper. You're doing wrong. You've forsaken the Lord. Okay, I'll be obedient. I'm following the Spirit. The Spirit's leading me. I'll go do it. And what happened? A conspiracy comes up against the man and he's stoned. That's the ultimate suffering. Yet can we deny that the spirit was involved? The spirit was involved. It says so right there in in the scripture. The spirit of God came on the man. Again, I mentioned Job. A whole book for him. A whole book documenting his suffering. And who was in it? Who was in it from the start? 
the Lord God. Hey, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? We need to, we need to reconcile this to our lives. We see the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit at times leads to hardship. It leads to suffering. And it seems such a conundrum. And before we attempt to kind of unravel it and understand it and make a little more sense of it, some New Testament examples. In the Old Testament, we read the Spirit of God was on. We read about this Zechariah. The Spirit of God was on the man. But in the New Testament, we read that the Holy Spirit indwells believers. The Holy Spirit's inside, within. And so did, did that take care of the issue? Did that take care of the suffering problem? Are we now just, are we just exactly like God that we can go do anything we want? Doesn't seem to be the case. There was suffering. Read about Peter and John and James and, and Stephen and even Jesus. Jesus suffered. We've looked at the passage from 2 Timothy that Paul wrote, and he stated he was appointed this teacher and prophet or preacher, and he was suffering. Paul was a man so filled with the Holy Spirit. He prayed for a young man, a young man that fell out of a building to his death. Paul prayed for that young man, and he came back to life. He was restored, resurrected. Paul experienced a venomous snake bite. Snake latched onto his hand, and he had to shake it off over a fire. He didn't suffer any ill effects. Extraordinary miracles, the book of Acts tells us. Extraordinary miracles were performed through Paul. Even pieces of cloth that he touched were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and spirits left them. That's amazing. This man so filled with the Holy Spirit. Yet the Holy Spirit led him to cities where he was beaten with rods and he was stoned and abused and left for dead. In Acts chapter 20, we read Paul's very own words. Acts 20, verses 22 and 23. These are, this is Paul speaking. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Compelled. He's compelled by the Spirit to go into this luxurious, pain-free life. God's going to take care of him. No, that's not what it says. God's going to take care of him, yes. But he's compelled by the Spirit to what? Hardships, it says. Here, here on one hand, he's praying for someone and they rise from the dead. He's, he's uh, just having clothes, cloths, handkerchiefs. He's touched and people are getting healed. Demons are leaving them. And yet the Holy Spirit says, you're going to have some hardship. This is, this is the full spectrum of life. In Acts chapter 5, there's an account of the apostles of Jesus Christ imprisoned by the Jewish ruling council. Now, this is after Jesus had uh, ascended to heaven. It's after they had all received the Holy Spirit and they were filled with the Spirit. Peter, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, he preached the gospel to these rulers. He said the Holy Spirit is given to those who come to Christ. And what happened? 
he and all the other apostles, they were flogged. But what did they do? They rejoiced. They rejoiced, Acts 5 says, because they were counted worthy to suffer as Jesus suffered. So they didn't look at this as, oh, God's not working. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. God's not in my life. No, they looked at it differently and they rejoiced. See, the Holy Spirit is involved in suffering. I read this from uh, theologian Andrea Hollingsworth, and I thought it, it's just, it's a quote that I couldn't say it better. I, it says, it is important to bear in mind that the suffering the Holy Spirit initiates in human life is always set in the context of God's calling and our mission in fulfilling that calling. Suffering is never the Spirit's primary goal. Rather, the mission of the gospel is. And that's what Paul was trying to tell Timothy. Hey, Timothy, I've been called. I've been appointed to this. Yeah, it hurts a little. I'm going to suffer. Actually, it hurt a lot. He was imprisoned. He was in chains. But he was on God's mission. The Holy Spirit compelled Paul. He compelled him. The Holy Spirit led Peter. And the result was pain. It was hurt but for a purpose that transcends all of that suffering. And that purpose is God's mission, his kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and nothing to be ashamed about. I heard a program last week. A couple was telling their story of their marriage that had totally fallen apart. This was a couple in full-time ministry. And after 10 years of marriage and three children, the husband began an affair with his wife's friend. Now, one day, it, it came to a point where he just confessed it to her. He said, hey, this is what's going on, and I want out. I want out of this marriage. Of course, that rocked the wife's world and brought all kinds of pain and suffering. But as they told their story, they ultimately reconciled. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't a, a just a you know, one-day journey or anything like that. It was a long and difficult road back to restoration. But here they were now married over 20 years and sharing their story. And uh, the husband, after he told his wife, he said, you know, when I first told her, it was just a relief. Just want to get it off, uh, off my shoulders and... There was no confession of repentance or remorse. But over time, and it took some time, that this husband arrived at a place of repentance, sincere repentance, which he expressed to his wife. And he told her, I, I'll understand if you, know, you tell me we're never going to be as we were. Uh, I, I get it. I totally get it. Because he, he was in the wrong he said, if you don't want to take me back, that's okay. She asked him to just share everything about what had happened. She knew a lot, but he, he said, okay. And he, he shared every detail, and that really just, it, it rocked her. And she said, you know, I'm done. I, I, she was planning on just filing her papers. But when she told her portion of the story, she said her perspective changed. 
her perspective changed while reading Hebrews chapter 12. And I was really stunned when I heard this. She said she was reading through Hebrews chapter 12 about discipline. And let me just share some of the verses that affected this, this lady. Hebrews 12, 7 and 8 and verse 11. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. So here again, we've got this, we've got hardship and suffering and we've got peace and righteousness and joy. It's all, it's all in life. But this, this woman, she expressed that in the most difficult, the most difficult and painful time of her life, she could see God in it. She could see God in it. The Holy Spirit disciplining Regardless, despite the fact that her husband was the unfaithful one. And that's what really, really, I was like, wow. She received this passage for herself. She saw God working in her during the deepest, most profound pain that she had ever experienced. And she said her desire was to be trained by it, as the passage in Hebrew says. Paul, Paul, that New Testament apostle, he did great miracles. As I said, he lived the entire spectrum. Great miracles, and he suffered for the cause of Christ. And he also wrote about this, this idea of God's disciplining hand. In his second letter to the church in the city of Corinth, Paul wrote, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. Take it away. Take it away. And now let's read 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. This is after Paul three times pleaded with the Lord about this thorn in the flesh. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is allowing, even leading to some place where we're going to experience pain. We're going to have some kind of hurt, some kind of suffering for the cause of Christ. At other times, the Spirit's working in us and working out something in us. The book of Hebrews calls it disciplining. God's working something out in us to produce a harvest, a harvest of righteousness and peace. Why? So we can say what Paul said, I will gladly boast in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me and even in me. You know, there are sometimes we might call it a thorn in the flesh or there's some kind of conflict, relational issues, emotional trauma, 
Maybe we've suffered a great, great loss in the sorrow and the grief. It's just overwhelmed us. When we are in the deepest and perhaps most profound pain in our life, be it physical, be it emotional, and yet we can't discern, is this God? Has he got something to do with it? Where, where are you in all of this? God, where are you in all this? That's when the infilling of the Holy Spirit is most important. And if we're going to be a church that puts a wall around hurting people, if we're going to be a church that ministers to those outside these walls who are suffering and in pain, if we have our own sufferings and pains, let's rely on that infilling of the Holy Spirit to minister to us, to get to that point where we can say we've, we've got this harvest of a righteousness and peace. So what can we do? Well, here's, here's one thing we can do, and it comes from the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, chapter 8. Romans eight twenty two to 28, Paul wrote, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. You got the first fruits of the Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Ghost? We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We who have the uh, first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. He's alluding to the resurrection. That, that one day we will definitely have a, a redeemed, glorified body and not, not have to deal with this one that we're groaning in. He says, for in this hope, we were saved. Yeah, in the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Yeah, we wait for it patiently while we trod this earth where we experience pain in the flesh. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, our weaknesses now. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Something is happening. Something's going on. And it hurts. Is it God's discipline? Or is it the Spirit initiating, calling, leading to suffering, as was the case that Paul experienced when he wrote to Timothy and even said, Timothy, join me? He's calling Timothy, join me. Join me like I've been called to this. Come on. He's calling Timothy to it. And whether it's, whether it's discipline, whether it's, oh, we, it's the gospel we are suffering for, whether we're, we're undergoing a minor irritation, Maybe, or a major pain, a major, major turmoil. When you love the Lord, when you're called by him, according to his purpose, 
And your suffering is set in the context of that calling. Your suffering is set in the context of God's calling. Your mission is fulfilling that calling. To see it through. To see it through. And how do you do that? To see it through, he's given you his spirit. He's given you his Holy Spirit. His power deposited in you. So you can know it and you can trust it that in all things God works it for your good. Yet at certain times and in certain situations that are so bleak, so bleak, it's hard to see it. It's hard to discern it. It's hard to say in all things God is working for the good of those who love him and have called him. So what do you do when you want to trust that God will work it to the good. But man, you're in the thick of something. You're in the thick of something and you feel so uncertain. Well, in the thick of it all, we can do what Paul wrote. And that's pray. Pray even to the point of groans that cannot be uttered. Sounds foolish. But it's God's word. In the Old Testament, we've got the, the example of Hannah. She groaned before God. God answered her prayer. In the New Testament, Paul's telling us wordless groans, drawing on the Holy Spirit himself to intercede on our behalf. That is powerful. The intercessory prayer of the Holy Spirit. That, that's an amazing, an amazing gift. And, and to help us, when we don't know what to pray, he searches our hearts and he intercedes in accordance with the will of God. The will of God. And it's God who will work all things to the good of those who love him. Do you love him this morning? Do you love the Holy Spirit? Do you love the Holy Spirit? Do you need his intercession this morning? For anything? Minor, major? If you need the intercession of the Holy Spirit, whatever the issue, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstances, before we leave today, why don't we just take some time? If you need that. And I'm going to invite you to pray with wordless groans. You got something you're dealing with? Go to the, you can get down on your knees right here at these altars and say, Lord, I I need you to intercede on my behalf and just let him do it. Let him do it. Invite him to do it. Ask him to do it so that you can produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. Pray with the perfect will of God. He'll intercede according to God's will. I don't know if you want that, but I do. I, I definitely do. The Spirit will intercede. He'll intercede. And I, I, I cannot say anything, but I believe it with all my heart because there it is in God's Word. And I, wanna, I, I just want to close with that kind of prayer this morning. And so I invite you to these altars just to come down and, and pray. And again, maybe it's something little, but you just you don't get it. You don't understand Maybe it's just something huge. Something huge has been gnawing at you for a long, long time. The Spirit of God can 
intercede for us. Let's pray. Let's pray. And let's let anyone who wants to be at these altars to pray, to stay, and pray. Let's respect that. If, if there's something you're dealing with and maybe you just you don't want to deal with it here this morning, don't let it keep going at your home. In your private space. Do what we we, we read here from Romans. Just allow the Lord to intercede in your behalf. Let him. Let him. Give it to him. Thank you, God, for all those in this house this morning. And we ask and pray that you'd continue to work on us and in us and through us by the leading and guiding of your Holy Spirit. The places of joy and peace and righteousness. Yes but through times of tribulation and trouble. And we know you're with us, God. And we trust it and we ask for your grace to intercede on our behalf and to help us, Lord. That we would be people who say, yes, God, you search our heart and you know. And we ask for you to intercede for us that we could be people who would then minister to others, those that you're sending in. Thank you, God. Bless your people as they go. Bless them, keep them. Watch over all, God, until we return again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, if you would just uh, allow those here at the altars to continue to pray, you don't have to rush out. If you want to pray, you can come down. Let's just keep that, that spirit of prayer here in the house right now.